0: This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast.
1: You're listening to the UAE's
0: number one talk radio station.
2: This is Afternoons on Dubai Eye 103.8. I'm Helen Farmer. Great to have you with us. A brace of brilliant experts on the show today. We started with Rose O'Donovan asking, how does the way you breathe affect your health Mouth breathing versus nose breathing and how to make the switch. We were talking heart health with King's College Hospital. High performance coach Phil Quirk explains what he does and with who. The common challenges of those high performers and how that advice can help us too. And Raw celebrating International Coffee Day. pretty rare that you take time to actually think about how you breathe. But trust me, it is more important than you might realise. To shed some light on this topic and help us out. If you are indeed a mouth breather and worried about it, we've got Rosa Donovan. She is a female health PT. She's an Oxygen Advantage Master Instructor. She's fresh back from Miami where she's been talking breath, stress and more Thank you for joining us. How are you, Rose?
1: I'm very good. Thank you, Helen. It's lovely to be here. I always feel really self-conscious
2: around you because I feel like you're kind of <laughs> assessing me in my breathing no. and I start to get a bit freaked out. <laughs> but you have such an interest in passion in this area. When did you have this light bulb moment about how important our breath is for overall like health and
1: well-being? Um, I probably had it for myself back in twenty seventeen. And maybe 2019, I started working seriously and getting qualified uh, around the area uh, for clients and people I was teaching because I saw so many people so stressed, so overweight and with their mouths open.
2: <laughs> I had a bit of a, a moment, actually, it was a mutual friend of ours, Keith, who said to me, the way we talk about drinking water is how we're going to talk about breathing in 10 years time. And Hopefully. I thought, and I thought, Wow actually, because when we think about the pillars of health, we think about nutrition a lot. We're talking about sleep more and more, and and rightly so. Hydration, of course. But breathing has been kind of conspicuous by its absence in those conversations until very recently. And I think that James Nestor book has really brought a lot of people's awareness to it. So Mm -hmm. when we're talking about the significance of nose breathing compared to mouth breathing, can we talk about some of the unexpected benefits of nasal breathing, Rosa Donovan?
1: Absolutely. And I think for your listeners and the general population, most people are not aware that mouth breathing is a thing. Um, Hopefully, it will become a proper medical term. um, And they're unaware they actually are mouth breathing. And the benefit of nasal breathing, there are so many, but uh, one of the biggest ones would be lung capacity and longevity um, and lack of chronic lifestyle disease because mouth breathing is associated with over 200 chronic lifestyle diseases. What? Yeah. Um, such as what? Such as all heart disease, um, high blood pressure, many types of cancer, uh, type 2 diabetes, diabetes, Overweight, obesity, uh, mental health conditions, and mm. the list is quite endless. So, any lifestyle disease, um, mouth breathing will be a symptom of that, and it's often overlooked. Uh, so when we nasal breathe there are two two major uh, molecules that um that that are used when we don't mouth breathe and one of them is nitric oxides nasal nitric oxide and that basically relaxes the endothelial tissues helping you to have um vasodilation as opposed to constriction and when i say that to make it very simple it just opens up the vessels and the arteries that need uh, space for your air uh, to go down. So if you want to feel the difference of that, just open your mouth and take a few breaths in if you're listening. So if you breathe in through your mouth right now for a couple of breaths, you'll feel, feel what is uh, vasoconstriction, that's tightening of the airways. And you'll also have 42% dehydration by mouth breathing.
2: Wow, this is the thing. You know, you've worked with my husband before who, who mm-hmm. ended up having a nose operation recently because he wasn't physically able to breathe through his nose. Mm-hmm. And he, in his whole... I was going to say adult life, his whole life has never woken up in the morning, not desperately thirsty Mm -hmm. because of breathing through his mouth. So when you're breathing through your nose, you've got natural filters in there, I guess, for want of a better phrase. It's going to
1: uh, humidify the air, warm it. It's going to filter it. it, uh, There's antibacterial properties. It basically prepares the air for entering your lungs and that allows the lungs to better deliver um, oxygen to your tissues and cells. Uh, and mouth breathing is not going to do that. And because of that constriction and that dehydration, you're naturally going to over when you're mouth breathing. So you're going to have, um, w- w- terms of, uh, in terms of you said, what are the benefits, your vagus nerve would be one of the greatest benefits that it's uh, nasal breathing and slow nasal breathing will um, stimulate your vagus nerve.
2: Now, can we come back to, you mentioned mental health there, which I think is a really interesting one. We've discussed on the show with, a number of sleep consultants, just how often some mental issues are misdiagnosed and sometimes it's behavioral. We've had ADHD because it's a sleep disorder. And so many of those sleep disorders relate to mouth breathing, to sleep apnea as well. Um, What about mental clarity? What have you seen with clients who've
1: been able to make that switch from nose, from mouth to nose rather? It is well cited in literature that overbreathing and mouth breathing will have a direct effect on cognition, um, whether it is children or adults. And making the switch, the mental clarity, because of the stress mechanism being reduced in the body, is absolutely huge. Uh, I currently have four clients that were referred for breathing to me, and they're all online, um, and they all suffer from anxiety, PTSD. And breathing, mouth breathing and over breathing is a massive component of that for them. So it's all interrelated, um, which is quite frightening for our general population because we just live in such a stressful environment. Mm-hmm. And we're so often, mm. let's treat this rather than looking at why might this exactly. be
2: happening. Yeah. Rosa Noderman with, with us today. Fuse Chi is an Oxygen Advantage Master Instructor. We've had a lot of messages coming in on this topic because we're going to talk about next why some people simply don't or can't nasal breathe. I'm going to go to text line two. <music> Joining us live in the studio for our breath clinic is Rose O'Donovan. She is a female health PT. She's an oxygen advantage master instructor. And she's going to be very busy between now and four o'clock. because we've had an awful lot of messages on this topic. We've been talking about the benefits of nose breathing over mouth breathing. But Rose, are there some people who for... Whatever reasons, be it habitual, physical ailments, they're just not able to breathe through their nose. Uh,
1: there would be. And if there is a deviation or there, are, there is obstruction in the airways, then it has to be referred out and checked properly. And then there, for a lot of people, they believe they cannot breathe through their nose simply because they have not used it enough And it's a use it or lose it, lose it organ. So um, if it is blocked, we've got a nose and blocking exercise. So you can take an inhale and an exhale, pinch your nose and hold. Can we do it it now?
2: Yeah, we're going to do it now. Okay, because I am a little bit congested.
1: (laughs) Okay, so you're going to pinch, uh, you're going to inhale and exhale, Helen, just a normal exhale. Through my nose? Yeah. And then you're going to pinch your nose and hold and you're going to nod your... Head up and down, and you're going to keep going and keep going and keep going until you can no longer hold. And that will take quite a few seconds. You can also do this walking around, but you can do it seated. So you're going to do go and go. And Helen's here nodding away, and she's beginning to. Me laugh.
2: Now I have a weirdly good lung capacity, so I was a bit worried about how long that was gonna go on for. But if people are doing it at home, you get until the point where, you
1: can't where you're hold bursting it any longer. Yeah, you're gonna burst. And um there'll be a big buildup of nitric oxide inside the nasal cavity, and you might uh you might need three to five goes of this. So three to five rounds. I usually do three with people and that clears it and it will unblock and you'll have uh you'll have a nice uh, snotty nose <laughs> that's great though because it is the season right now um, yep. we've had a message here saying i've got a
2: constant blocked or runny nose and i'm very stressed depressed and overwhelmed with life if my nose is usually blocked how can i benefit i've tried various antihistamines and inhalers it doesn't work and i do have asthma as well
1: yeah, I'd suggest a number of things for this particular listener. Uh, yes, the nose and blocking exercise that we did, closing your mouth and going for a gentle walk. So I'm guessing that uh, exercise is not possible with this condition. So most people should be able to close their mouth and exercise or go for a walk or do some form of aerobic exercise. Um, I would also look at incorporating something like swimming and then small, short breath hold exercises that we do one-to-one with clients now without assessing this lady I can't say okay do this or this just in case because we apply safety and Mm -hmm. assessment to all our our patients Uh, so there are a number of things she can do and though if you just listen to what she said I'm overwhelmed and stressed and this is a population that will generally be mouth breathing overwhelmed stress and especially people who talk for a living or have to deliver uh, corporate trainings or they're in a corporate environment where there's a a lot of uh, presenting going on. Mm Don't look at me like that. (laughs) No.
2: I've also had a message here saying, my husband has started sleeping with mouth tape in an attempt to cease his snoring. More mornings than not, he wakes up with it stuck somewhere else. Can you please recommend a strong tape? Before we get to your recommendation, Rose, tell us a little bit about mouth taping. This is something that you've done in the past, but as you're very keen and rightly so to emphasise it should it's not something you should just pick up off the shelves and crack on with, necessarily.
1: No, you definitely shouldn't just pick it up and put it on. Uh, There are two types of snoring, nasal snoring and mouth snoring. So nasal snoring, (laughs) I've just demonstrated it here. (laughs) And then mouth snoring, if you open your mouth and the sound is quite different... (laughs) That's ah. a, And then mouth snoring can be cured by just closing your mouth. Nasal snoring, you'll need to look deeper and further into that. So having that assessed first before taping. And then if you do tape, it should be on recommendation from somebody who does know what they actually are talking about and they're qualified. And the tape we recommend is three millimeter micropore tape or there's Myo Tape from Patrick McKeown, who is the founder of Oxygen Advantage. A stronger tape might be the hostage tape, which is quite uh, <laughs> going quite wild in the market at the moment. It's never called that. It is, it is, it is. And then uh, one thing I really want to say to this lady is, so your husband's waking up with his mouth open and this is where there may be A jaw or a tongue issue, because if you place your tongue in the roof of your mouth, that's the correct posture for your tongue. And it also means your jaw has to align and stay up and your teeth are gently closed and touching together. Whereas if your mouth is hanging down and open and the tongue is in the belly of the mouth per se, um, then it's not in the correct posture. And there may be a different issue there. Mm -hmm. So if you take your tongue to the back of the roof of your mouth, slide it along the hard palate until you get to the soft palate, there is the base of your nose. So you just take your tongue and you can find the, the base of your nose. And that's what you want to use when you're breathing at nighttime, especially. But if the mouth is hanging open, then there's uh, it, the jaw may need exercise, which is the case for most of the population today mm. because we do not chew anymore.
2: <laughs> yes, I was listening to James Nasta speaking about this recently and it was exactly that around. We're not using our jaw muscles, our facial muscles, but... Equally, and I'm always the first person to say, you know, to new mums, fed is best. But it was also talking about the positive impact of breastfeeding in developing a baby's jaw and functioning. And for the for the facial development, is that something you've seen in kids, adults? Can you look at them and say, you your face has not developed in the way it should have done to necessitate the yes. way you should breathing?
1: Yes. So if there are parents listening... Please look at your kids, and it's a—it's called the long face syndrome. It's not very nice because the, the jaw and the face grow downward instead of outward. And if they're on six, it's quite hard to fix. There's a saying, fix it before six. um, And that's when you need to fix your child's breathing and their jaw development. And I see a lot of adults with this issue, the chronic issue of the long jaw syndrome. And it also means the tongue is hanging into the base of the mouth. So another exercise listeners can do is turn your head to the left side and swallow and then turn it to the right side and swallow. Let me try. And then turn it to the right side and swallow. And you'll find a difference. And then also swallowing maybe three times in a row and seeing how tired you get. And when you swallow, you shouldn't see anything in your face moving. You should only see the neck muscles actually swallowing and working. So when we see people, especially kids, whatever age they are, I, when they swallow, just watch their face. Is everything moving together? And is there all this scrunched upness? And is the swallow done in a couple of goes instead of one nice swallow? Mm. Then, you know, there's going to be issues with jaw development. And this is linked directly to cognition, brain development, concentration, attention span. Um, and the list is goes on there quite a lot. Um, hostagetape.com. <laughs> You looked
2: it up. Of course I looked it up. I was Mm. like, it's an interesting marketing technique. It is, isn't it? Crikey. So that is super strong. It says, are you sceptical? Sleeping in separate bedrooms? Sleeping like beep? Waking up with a dry mouth? Sleep better now. Now, we should be really clear and say there are some medical conditions that might require you to go to an ENT to establish if you are able to safely mouth tape, if you know, if you have enlarged adenoids, you've mm. deviated septum and you're not able to, to nose breathe, then please don't do this. But you think this could be a strong enough one for for this husband to use Yeah and um, I
1: I don't actually know the strength of this hostage tape but the good thing with the micro pore tape and myo tape myo tape has a little uh, um, a little hole in the middle so it's just around them out to keep this elastic elasticity together of the lips and with the myo tape it, it will come off so the, the good thing about these tapes Helen is you're not going to suffocate with them so nobody should be putting on tape that is too strong to take off it's a mm-hmm. uh, it, 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 tape is designed to come off if if you if it needs to. Tool. It's not about having a nice bonus waxed moustache in yes. the morning. <laughs>
2: okay, we are going to go to the text line. Um, we've had a lot of questions on this. Rose O'Donnell has been with us in the studio as we talk about mouth versus nose breathing. Um, one saying, habitual mouth breather here. But I've been mouth taping for the last four months and it has been a game changer. I've just messaged my son in Ireland this week with details of how to unblock his nose that way too. We've had messages about, well, just about all aspects. Toddlers, 11-year-olds, um, Jackie's saying, I've always been a bit of a Darth Vader, but I'm pregnant and it's worse. Any advice? Are you a mouth breather? That's what we're examining this hour and talking about some of the benefits of switching to your nose with Rose O'Donovan. She is a female health PT. She's an oxygen advantage master instructor. And a breathing specialist on hand should be giving us exercises, tests and more. And the phone lines are open. The text lines are going a little bit bananas. How do you feel about a bit of a quick fire round, Rose, on the text line? Let's go. Let's go. Okay. (laughs) No name on this one saying, how can I check if a toddler is a mouth breather or a nasal breather? What are we looking for in our little ones?
1: I would primarily check when they're sleeping. Uh, if the mouth is open, maybe take a few pictures and then watch for behavior during the day. And if the mouth is actually open, then that can be just the lips open. And a lot of people say, oh, it's so cute when they see the mouth hanging open on a baby. It's not cute and definitely not in a toddler because this is it's a key, key stage for development. So the you're just you're looking for an open mouth. The scary thing is what do you then do with really little
2: ones? You know, we're talking now about mouth taping in adults and some of the techniques and tuning into our own breathing as grown-ups. With little ones, what are some of the treatment or management options available?
1: You would literally close their lips when they're sleeping. So seal them. And this is what uh, was done, you know, really, really long time ago. So you would literally close them. And then with food and diet, um, you're going to have to introduce, when solids are introduced, it is, you know, solids that are solid and not, uh, soft food because this is a part of the jaw development and using it allows the jaw to close properly and this is something that is um, it's a chronic issue Helen because our diet has gotten liquefied and especially for kids and, and you it's one of the only ways out of it is chewing and chewing should come up to 26 times uh, before they swallow so chewing and exercising the jaw and making sure the nasal cavity is clean and clear um, and then exercise and i would definitely say if you're a parent please teach your kids to swim really yeah why does that make such an impact uh swimming is one of the only exercises that uh that where we train our respiratory muscles um it's one of the main exercises i use with people if they are able to swim to start improving their airways your lung capacity is a key indicator for your longevity um, that's proven, so it's not how much muscle mass is in your body, it's uh, lung capacity. and uh, one of the fastest ways to increase lung pa- capacity is exercise, correct breathing, and swimming is a it's like a quick fireway to get there. Can I ask about lung capacity and,
2: and how much of an accurate indicator is that on our general health and you know
1: even how long we're going to live? It would be very accurate Um, and the 25th of September was a national lung day or world lung day. Um, And it's, you know, this is our lung capacity is a direct reflection of how much our uh, hemoglobin can release oxygen to the tissues and cells. So when we're breathing properly, that process of... Oxygen being delivered happens in the lower lobes of the lungs. So if we're breathing shallow and fast and rapid, that means you're breathing in the upper portion of the lungs, but it's the lower portion of the lungs we need to get the air to. And lung capacity would be uh, a huge indicator. So, yes, it it is uh, relational. Get that diaphragm firing. Okay, Jackie's been saying hi both.
2: I've always been a bit of a Darth Vader. I didn't realise mouth breathing was bad until recently and I'm 34. I just cannot breathe through my nose. It's become much more exacerbated during pregnancy. I'm 32 weeks pregnant and I'm waking up every 40 minutes with horrendous dry mouth
1: from mouth Mm. breathing. Any advice? I was definitely more congested when I was pregnant. What's that about? Wow. Change in the hormonal um, levels. So when a woman is due her menses, uh, we literally feel like we're suffocating, um, mm-hmm. doing the same gym exercise or aerobic exercise. So the, the change in estrogen and progesterone will cause that. But also there is the the weight. And now I would also look at it. Was it Jackie who said mm-hmm. this lady's name is? Um, pregnancy and an abdominal obesity are similar in the way they pull part of the body forward. So when we're not in a stacked position that we can have the neck over the lungs, over the ribs, over the pelvis, this nice stack to create a postural breathing. And the best way to improve your posture is to focus on your breathing. So just as soon as you put attention to breathing in through your nose and out through your nose, your posture will change. So I would look at Jackie's posture uh, one thing we can change is that hormonal deviance at the moment because she is uh, she's in her third trimester. But there are very simple exercises you can do that are safe. And one of them is five ten, and that is where you hold your breath for five seconds and breathe normally for ten seconds. So it would be like an inhale from your nose, exhale, pinch your nose and hold for five seconds, and then let go to breathe normally for ten seconds, and repeat this up to three minutes or five minutes. Now with Jackie, I would say come and see somebody who works um, who is qualified. There's a lot of breathing schools on the market but you must be safe. It's not something we can just go playing with like you can go mouth taping or hyperventilating. Breathing is something that should be done with caution especially in pregnancy or any lifestyle disease such as blood pressure, anxiety, COPD etc.
2: Okay, Rose Donovan, with us today. We've had a number of people asking for your details. If you want to send me the word Rose or breath I will send you that. She's at Joint Space but is on Instagram as well and great resource on that Instagram for for all sorts of tips and tricks. Someone's saying it's funny because um, swimming is the rare only sport where you have to breathe from the mouth. Mm-hmm. What's
1: that about? Well, we have to exhale from the mouth. So I remember somebody uh, literally taking this, uh, literally and tried breathing through their nose. But um, you can breathe, uh, you can make it nasal, but obviously you're in the water. You have to exhale from your mouth. One, if there are swimmers listening, uh, one very good way to increase your sensitivity to carbon dioxide would be to swim on a stroke count of three, five, seven, nine, eleven. So that basically means you're able to swim in the water with your head down, and you're able to turn properly. So you would breathe. Every three strokes, every five strokes, every seven strokes, every nine strokes, every 11 strokes. And this is very wow, difficult. Wow, that's
2: nails. Yeah.
1: If you want to be regular, you can go five, seven strokes. And, I was uh, going to say,
2: I normally get to six and I start to get a bit like, oh, okay, here we go. Yeah, All right, I'm going to try that. Definitely going to try that. Let's bring it back to kids because Francesca has been in touch saying... Hi, both. My seven, sorry, 11-year-old son is a chronic mouth breather, always has been. Um, he's always snored from as young as I can remember. He had bad nosebleeds as a toddler. When he eats, he has to breathe through his mouth, and the noise drives me insane. He has to have a brace, the dentist said. He's got a bit of a crossbite, and the front teeth are vulnerable. I've spoken to him about the mouth breathing, and he said that maybe the adenoids have never shrunk. They could be enlarged. His teeth are slightly yellow. He takes good of the, good care of them, but the dentist that could, said that could be for mouth breathing too. Apparently, this could disfigure his face. But it does sound like he has enlarged adenoids, but could it be something else? Tonsils apparently are fine. He does have difficulty in sleeping, behavioural issues, as you mentioned, and gets dry lips a lot. Any ideas? I would love it if it was adenoids. They could be whipped out, but I'm unsure if that actually would help. I know you can't give a diagnosis on one text message raise, but what comes to mind for Francesca and her son here?
1: Um, that mouth breathing will disfigure his face and mouth breathing will affect his ability to behave and to concentrate. And it is in his best interest to have somebody work consistently with him. Uh, I have two kids at the moment and uh, one of them has been working consistently for about a year now and she's absolutely fantastic. The parents have to come on board It's not as simple as whipping something out. Uh, We're looking at how he's chewing, how he's sleeping, how, you know, there are exercises that we start progressively. So we start with a, a breath hold test and then we can start pacing and teaching him how to breathe through his nose. So this is like retraining a part of your body that you're not used to using. And, you know, dentists, it's not their fault. We have one great dentist in Dubai. I'm not sure if she's been on the airway dentist. Um, and then... That's, most, doc, that's Dr. Tina yeah. who's at the same day. She has, she's been on once.
2: Yeah. Um, she's on Instagram and I would advise you to check her out. She's, as Rose says, airways dentist on Instagram. She's been fantastic with my girls. Really brilliant.
1: Yeah. And then the other one is myofunctional fun- therapist. We're a bit short in, them on, in Dubai. Um, or the Boutique method for kids. So, um definitely if this caller wants to give me a call, I'm happy to talk to her on the phone for um, a longer chat and give her some advice. I've um, had a question
2: here and I want to bring it back to sport with you because this is a real area of your passion as well as breathing. Kev saying, sorry for the seemingly bizarre or obvious question, but how should you breathe when running? I've been listening to Denise Lewis on Couch to 5K and she says, breathe in through your nose and out through your mouth. I've always just done mouth in and out. I can do nose, but it's harder especially if I'm congested. My preferred method is to stick my tongue against the corner of my mouth and breathe hard. What does your expert say? So when we're thinking about athletic performance, running in particular, Kev's asking about, how do you advise breathing?
1: Okay, I would love to say nasal only. Um, Not always possible when you go into the anaerobic stages, but I would say, what's the goal? What are you exercising for? So bring it back to nasal breathing. We have marathon runners completing marathons with nasal breathing only. And the huge difference is they recover far, far faster and there is far less damage to their bodies. So you should be able to breathe in uh, in through your nose, out through your nose, up to 80, 85% of your capacity. And then your next stage will be in through your nose, out through your mouth. And then for general listeners, I'd give them this formula. If you wear a heart rate monitor uh, minus your age from 180 and you'll get a nice aerobic Heart rate, and then perform that heart rate with whatever uh, modality of training you do, nasal breathing only. And when you get to the stage where you have to pull back the intensity, then you just start measuring what you're doing so that you can extend your aerobic. Uh, capacity. And if you extend that, you're going to extend your health, your longevity, your HRV, your ability to recover, your sleep, everything. But this means that you're probably going to have to train a little bit easier for uh, a short period of time until you adapt. God, it's, it's so interesting though, isn't it?
2: Because we just take for granted that we're just bobbing around, mm. breathing lots. Do you find yourself eyeing up people and be like, oh, can I just have a little chat with you? Would you just pop into clinic with me for half an hour and we can have a chat?
1: Do you find yourself itching too? I do. And, and, you know, I see it in the gym environment so much as um, head forward, posture, mouth open, excessive stress, excessive mouth breathing. And... It's it's it is a passion for me because when these issues are fixed, people generally get the health, the body, and the happiness and peace that they actually crave mm-hmm. on a daily basis. So it is uh, it's it's a chronic issue, and I, I do I do assess a little bit. But um. <laughs> stop looking at me.
2: I'm um, not. You're no. actually really good. Thank
1: you. Thank you very much.
2: <laughs> um, We've had a message saying I have forever a block nose. The slightest change in temperature, car ACs, ACs in general make it block up immediately. We live in the UAE. ACs mm. are everywhere. Someone's told me that lack of vitamins and magnesium can make a difference. Is that true? What can I do? I need my nose. I'm a teacher.
1: Oh, teachers. Um, so interesting because teachers are talkers. Um, people who talk for a living really suffer with this. Uh, so I would go with, uh, ask the school to bring in a specialist and teach teachers uh, Pacific breathing exercises. Um, the nose unblocking exercise do three times and do it a number of times a day until you get uh relief. Rose if anyone's just tuned in and they
2: missed your previous nose unblocking exercise would you mind giving us a quick recap?
1: Yes, you can just inhale and exhale and pinch your nose and hold. And if you're in a seated position, you're just going to nod your chin or fold your ribs forwards like you're activating your diaphragm. You can also do this simply by walking around until you get to the point of where you feel like you're going to burst. So it's basically inhale exhale pinch your nose and hold and if you're sitting you're rocking forwards and backwards and if you're standing you're just going to walk around until you feel you can no longer hold your air so you push quite hard and then you repeat that three times with a break in between and uh, it will open up your airways and for the teacher the uh, we probably need to introduce some breathing exercises to help you yes we are in that AC environment mm-hmm. but we can manage here Thank you so much, Rose. We've run out of time. We oh. haven't run out of questions.
2: However, if, I've had a lot of people asking for your details. If you send me the word Rose or breath, whatever comes to mind, I will send you Rose O'Donovan's details. Um, she's there on Instagram. And uh, as we said, I'm going to be at Joint Space two days a week in Alcoz. Any? Do you, do you feel like there's anything that you... Urgently, desperately want to get out to the people of the UAE in the next few seconds, Rose. What? Yes. <laughs> Go on. No, no, because I think I think it's important because we, we've only scratched the surface. But while we have got you, what would be your one key takeaway?
1: Stop exercising with your mouth open so much and uh, learn to slower breathe and spend 10 minutes a day on focused breathing to improve your HRV. And then just have a look at how you are in your stack position, ribs and pelvis and where the pain is in your body. So the biggest, yeah, the biggest takeaway is stop exercising intensely with your mouth open for prolonged periods of time, and you will see a massive response in your health uh, markers. We have just had a message, no name, saying
2: ants live a short life because they don't have a nose. Oh, <laughs> so true. Poor little things. <laughs> Rose Donovan, thank you so much as ever. We're going to have you on because you've been doing an awful lot of work and research in the space of obesity as a disease, and I think it's a really fascinating topic. We'll have you on in a few weeks to unpack some of those key takeaways. heart health and marking World Heart Day which falls tomorrow with King's College Hospital. Joining us Dr. Mahmoud Butt is a consultant, interventional cardiologist and discussing how cardiovascular diseases, CVDs remain a global health crisis it's responsible for staggering 17.9 million deaths each year. So we are marking World Heart Day and serving as this platform to talk about latest advancements but also heart care and prevention. Dr. Mahmoud, how are you?
3: I'm all right, thank you. You're Thanks all right.
2: <laughs> now, we've met before. I have been on your treadmill and had a heart stress test as part of an executive uh, well-woman check at King's. I would, have,
3: I would have remembered if it was not normal.
2: It was fine. So, <laughs> I'm still standing. Yeah, I'm still standing. But yeah. I think what it, what we keep on coming back to in so many areas of health is about prevention, awareness, education, knowing your numbers. And I think hearts are... A bit scary for an awful lot of people because we've got some might have congenital issues, might have some lifestyle issues. And I still think we've got a bit of confusion about what actually happens in the body when there is a heart attack. And I wondered if you could perhaps start with that and then we can get into some advice and, and insights. Can you tell us what actually happens in the body?
3: So, What happens over the time? It's, it's quite similar to the sewer system, actually, what happens in the heart and the rest of the blood vessels. So the blood like a water in the sewer it could be clean or unclean and depending on how clean or unclean it is it starts depositing on the inside of the pipes so the heart has three pipes three large pipes and those arteries or their branches if they have any blockage you get angina you get a heart attack people sometimes have a cardiac arrest and all sorts of things Mm -hmm. how does it happen so in that water or in that blood there's things like cholesterol the fats different types of cholesterol but the nutshell is that that cholesterol starts depositing in the inside of the pipes, kind of start depositing. You, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. you know, like an old sewer pipe, mm-hmm. the gunk starts getting deposited on there. And over the time, it just develops and develops and develops. And one day you find out the pipe locked. So we need something to kind of get that out. So, you're so that's like a what plumber. The cholesterol does. <laughs> yeah, you literally, yes, we are actually. It's a heart's plumbing job, actually. Um, so that cholesterol, if it deposits, and if you identify at an early enough stage, then you can reverse the process. Well, at least you can freeze it in time. If
2: you know, I mean. doctor. Can I ask you why do you think we are tragically seeing a rise in the number of heart attacks in young people?
3: Honestly speaking, it might be conspiracy theory, but I, I and I, I don't have any scientific evidence to prove it. But I think since COVID. Um, there's a lot of people who are reporting that heart attack is getting increasingly common in younger people. Um, you might not believe, but I have treated a 23 years old guy a few weeks ago with a heart attack who is quite thin, non-smoker, and has not done anything wrong in his life. In this year alone, I have treated four people in their 20s. Now, we haven't seen that before. Uh, we were almost getting used to people coming with a heart attack from all ethnic origins mm. in their thirties and forties. Uh, however, that seeing twenty years old people uh, that 's quite scary actually, scary. I feel that sense of virus that the viruses they might have made some fundamental changes in the arteries or in the blood circulation in a way that the cholesterol is made or it gets deposited on the internal surface of the of the pipes. Um, We have treated during the peak COVID period people having heart attacks of different types. It affects the muscles, it affects the valves, it affects the blood and it affects the pipe. So one would argue that it is possible the composite endpoint might be that a person having a heart attack. In fact, uh, just before this interview, I was having a chat with a gentleman who has a persistently elevated blood levels for a heart attack. However, all the investigations prove negative, normal. There's no blockage, nothing. So there is some microscopic damage happening. Mm-hmm. And the only thing is that the only uh, only significant finding in his history is that he had some kind of viral illness. Um, so I think that, um, on a, based on my clinical practice, that uh, in the last four or five years, we're starting to see this. And the only different thing is that um, that the virus, the COVID, um, is yet to be seen. We don't have any scientific data. It's too short. And I guess, I guess that's, the, that's probably the reason now we're seeing actually more people who are healthy, who don't have any heart problems, who's not known to have any risk factors, who don't have any – they're not coming to a clinic saying, I've got chest pains for six months, mm-hmm. that we historically used to see. Mm-hmm. Now people are coming, just dropping
2: can I ask um, you, Doctor, but then in terms of, and let's put COVID aside, because that's something that unfortunately we've had, we haven't got any control over. But if we are no. healthy people listening today who want to protect no. our heart health as far as possible. And again, I'm putting aside any kind of congenital issues or underlying diagnosis. What are some of the best and worst things we can do for our heart health that you'd like everyone listening today to try, to stop, to adjust, to incorporate? So we, so we don't find ourselves in your clinic at King's College Hospital as lovely as you are.
3: Uh, well, the, the the most important thing that I um, generally convey to my patients is the lifestyle. So the lifestyle has to be absolute priority. We are living in a very commercial kind of life where we're not really doing much. Um, so our food habits, the dietary habits, in terms of our exercises, we're not walking as much as we used to. Um, and as you said, that we can't do anything about COVID, but there's one thing we can do is to identify a problem because not only that we are seeing problem with young people, but also we're seeing people who are previously healthy. Like, under last night, somebody's fine. In the morning, went to the office and had... Uh, a terrible chest pain without any prior warning and arrested in front of his colleague. Now, what could have been done is that uh, I think now, with that kind of information, the best thing perhaps we can do other than the lifestyle is to have themselves checked. Mm-hmm. I have uh, been vocal about the use of doing a CT scan of the heart because mostly people do a simple exercise test in the hospitals and they get reassured, but it's not the most accurate test. As the people go for a CT scan, there's a very good chance that they will find a problem. And uh, trust me, there's not a single day that passes that I don't see a patient who is healthy and I have to break the news. Unfortunately, your CT scan will turn out to be a problem. So... um,
2: I think that's
3: the best thing is, is is identifying the problem before mm-hmm. the problem identifies you. Well said. Is the key,
2: Doctor But. Thank you so much for your time. Um, really do appreciate it. And up next, we are going to speak to a gentleman whose wife did suffer, as exactly you've been talking about there, at a young age. You can find Doctor Mahmoud But there at King's College Hospital, where he's consultant interventional cardiologist. We are speaking to Naya next. World Heart Day falls on September 29th and joining us live on the line from King's College Hospital, Dr. Mehmood. But we're also joined now by Naya Alam who had to rush his wife to hospital, a mother of two. She suffered cardiac arrest at just 31 years old. Naya, thank you so much for being with us today. Can you tell us what happened on that day? Can you take us back in time?
4: Thank you for having me. Thank you. it was it the was, uh, 2nd of July, uh, very memorable and a tragic day for us. We were having staycation after Eid holidays. We actually decided after two days to go to staycation because the first two days we were busy in the Eid celebration. Mm-hmm. And uh, we opted to stay locally in UAE, not to travel anywhere abroad because uh, that was ideological for me because I was having my kids and my uh, my mother-in-law and my brother all here. So Mm
1: -hmm.
4: after that, uh, we had a very good first night. But the second day, we, I think, made a mistake uh, for going for the water park. It was quite sunny. And uh, my wife was not feeling very well that day uh, after the water park. So we had some time spent there uh, with the paramedics. And it was all quite well because she didn't have any history of any kind of disease before okay. uh she had a very routine checkup in the past year because of the pregnancy and uh, she had delivered a baby normally mm-hmm. in on third of january so
2: she was in good we were not,
4: uh, yeah she was perfectly in good health good weight not obese no issues of blood pressure no diabetes nothing absolutely uh, the most fit uh, member of our family so we were not anticipating something like this. So
2: at the water park, she was feeling faint. You had some medical interventions. No, no, no
4: not, not in the water park. When we after. left the water park, when we were about to check out to then, come back to our
2: home. And then what happened? Because things sadly took took a bit of a turn. What happened next? And you end up going to the hospital because of it.
4: We, I mean, that time it was very difficult for me to decide, like, actually what to do. Uh... I, I thought of making call to ambulance but there was no time uh, in the car she she felt, she complained uh, about the palpitation, high palpitation, so there was no time uh, left for me to call ambulance or I decided to drive myself straight to emergency, luckily we were there nearby the hospital. Mm-hmm. So I drove directly and uh, then the uh, hospital staff took care from that point onwards.
2: So. I can't. I can't even imagine how frightening this must have been for you and her, because she was unresponsive at that point. Tell us what the doctors were saying once you got to the hospital, and when they were able to tell us, tell you a little bit about what had happened. Naima,
4: they asked for the incident, what happened, and uh, the, the hospital in charge, as well as the doctor and. Uh, initial uh, investigation they asked like what, what was the reason and uh, we were completely blank because we were not knowing what happened mm-hmm. so that's what response they received from me and my other family members but uh, when they came out from the triad room in emergency they said that the pulse is uh, not there and the blood pressure is also very very uh, I mean, like I don't remember the exact what they said but it was like you know that it's a very difficult time. Oh, but uh, two minutes after, again, they came out and they said she has uh, uh, resuscitated, something like this in medical term. But I heard like she's fine. Okay. So, oh, so I went inside and, and she was fine. Literally, she was saying that if nothing happened. <laughs> so oh, I was goodness. amazed and,
2: uh, and we're all thankful. And how is she now?
4: Uh, she she has done better lately uh it's been now two two and a half months more than two and a half months we spent some 10 days there in the hospital and then uh we had this uh detailed report by the doctor that uh, this is some arvd uh, syndrome which is like you know irregular heartbeat issue and uh, it can happen again so you need to have a icd implant in your uh, chest for it so if something happen again the, the the device can give shock by itself and it can bring down or lower the heart rate to to the level uh, and in a normal uh, working so you know you will be out of danger so well
2: i mean thank goodness for your quick thinking of getting your wife to that hospital and i'm so so happy that things are under control you've got that information you're Managing it and navigating it, and she's there for your two lovely children. Nea, thank you so much for joining us today. Really, really appreciate it. And please give your wife all the very best from us. Thank you. You Thank you so much. Uh, Dr. Mahmoud. tell us a little bit about uh, what you... Your reaction upon hearing that story, Nea and his his wife there, just 31 (laughs) years old and ending up in cardiac arrest, unresponsive. Um, I presume you've seen... Unfortunately, cases like this in your time as a cardiologist.
3: Yes, so um, it's not quite a heart attack. Well, she had yeah, her heart went too fast and too funny. It's like train changing the track to a zigzag one. All of a sudden, it's going to like twice or three times as fast as it should. And when the heart's running that fast, then it doesn't have time to really pump. Mm-hmm. So that's why people pass out. So in her case, they what the gentleman has described is there's a condition um, that that kind of puts her at the risk of having it again. Um, it is usually a congenital thing and it can develop over the time as well. It's not quite a heart attack, but uh, the only thing I would say in her case is it was, she was quite lucky that she diverted, and then she was not far from the hospital. Mm-hmm. But I would have thought that uh, she should have had, in my opinion, the pacemaker or the ICD. Because you know, if it happens again, it might be life-threatening. Well, she does have that. Um, thank
2: goodness. So that's been implanted now, and she's in okay. in good health. Um, I just want to come yeah. to the text line briefly, if you don't mind, Doctor. Saying, is it true, my made-up theory, that if you smoke or exercise harder, you can offset the effect of smoking? Net zero
3: theory? No, that's, that's nonsense. No, <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't work. Okay. No, it doesn't work that way. You can't balance these things. The smoking has a different effect. And in fact, if you smoke and if you stop today, it takes nearly three to five years before the effects are reversed. Uh, and many times they don't. Uh, so the exercise doesn't really help. The exercise, if, help, if, if anything, it may be helpful to get used to a blocked artery. So with the smoking, the arteries get slowly blocked. But if you exercise, you kind of prime your body. You train your body to get used to that. So when your heart is running at a speed of 40 or 50 beats per minute because you're a good runner or mm-hmm. because you're a good walker, your heart doesn't you really need to push anything, so it never never cries out for help. Oh. So you would know the athletes, the athletes, whenever they pass out, they pass on the pitch, don't mm-hmm. they?
2: That's right. Goodness me. Okay, there's a lot to think about, and I've had an awful lot of people asking for your details. Can, would you mind just demystifying a little bit? If someone wanted to come in for a heart health check with you, Dr. Mahmood there Mm -hmm. at at King's. What could people expect? Um, And just, because I think that's a bit of a fear factor is that, you know, we're talking about taking control of your heart health, but what does that actually look like? Um, As I said, I came in for an executive kind of well-woman check a couple of years ago and I was on your treadmill with some... uh, with some wires on you me and it, it cat, wasn't yeah. it wasn't scary at all uh, tell us a little bit of just briefly if you wouldn't mind about what a heart check so can the, involve the heart check actually the
3: most important part is having a consultation having a talk with a patient and identifying if there's any hidden risks if there's anything that we are concerned about if there are any symptoms that patients might not be concerned about but we might be um, then most of the time we do a scan, a scan of the heart uh, which is basically the ultrasound of the heart. That's it. There's no pain. There's no radiations. And then the other test is the exercise test that you have uh, just described. Why is it attached to the chest and arms and legs? And you walk on the treadmill. Nine, ten minutes and you're done. If there's anything that we're suspicious of, then surely we will investigate it further. Um, and trust me, every, every I'd say two, three out of ten so-called healthy patients would have some changes most of the time we end up doing CT scans on them to find out that um, as the exercise test is telling us the truth or lying about it um, so it, it's um, there's nothing scary about it the good thing about heart Helen is is the although it sounds scary but it is the most treatable disease it's the most treatable condition you can live a perfectly normal life unfortunately People don't like to get themselves checked because of being scared of it, and also because they don't want to take medicines. Mm-hmm. And we like to give them very little, uh, few fewer medicines rather than a lot of them.
2: Um, and it's very treatable. You
3: know, it's a uh, you know, perfect normal life. Well, that's but the perfect
2: life. note to end on. One of optimism on World Heart Day. Dr. Mahmoud, thank you so so much. Really appreciate your time. Get back to that busy clinic at King's College Hospital. Thank Bye. you so so much. <music> He's a former Royal Marine who specialises in human performance, mental fitness and resilience. Clients include Olympic and world champions, polar exploration teams, UK and US former members of special forces, CEOs and executives too. He's also the author of Legacy, ancient philosophy for modern minds and the founder of Expedition Limitless. They take people on extreme adventures for charity. We're talking elite coaching now with Phil Quirk. Welcome to the UAE. You've come in on your holiday. How are you, Phil?
0: Uh, I'm very well. I'm very well. A workation it is, sort of A
2: workation. Do you actually relax? Because, I mean, just from the few lines of your bio there, you sound like you never stop.
0: Uh, No, I do relax, yeah. I I, I, I find time uh, to to sort of downtime, I suppose. Um, uh, I've got my own interests and hobbies, which, you know, I think is really important for anyone. Uh, No matter how busy you are, it's it's important to have that.
2: Couldn't agree more. Let's... Let's kind of establish a few terms, if you don't mind. What are we talking about when we say elite coaching?
0: Well, I mean, it's a play on words, isn't it? I I think everybody, you know, has a mindset. Everyone has mental health. Everyone has, you know, that bit between their ears. So, you know, my my clients, I suppose when when you're writing a book, you talk about those more prominent ones um, the ones I get just as much satisfaction from working with is, is everybody you know anyone that wants wants help mm. to to just perform at whatever they're doing at a higher level. Um, so I think we all have elite within us. Um, it's it's
2: and it, it means different things to different people. For sure,
0: it? for sure, yeah. You know, you know, for some people, you know, elite performance is going into a job interview and knocking out the park and coming out from that interview and you know, feeling that immense sense of satisfaction, you know, mm. for an Olympic track cyclist, you know, it takes four years of work for what might be sort of 15 minutes of work at the end of it. Um, so elite means different things, but I think everybody is in the business of performance.
2: you talk a lot about a life without limits. Yes. What does that mean to you in particular? And how does it relate to some of the clients that you're working with?
0: I, I think for, from a binary perspective, I think we all have beliefs. Um, and if you can split those beliefs into two sections there are the beliefs that you have which enable you to go and do the things that you do and um, which are empowering beliefs and there are beliefs that you have that limit the things that you do that are disempowering and um, i believe that most people their life is shaped much more by their limiting beliefs than their enabling beliefs and can you
2: give us some examples of limiting beliefs that have come up with with clients or that people listening today would be like yeah, that's gotten my way, whether I'd realised it or not.
0: Well, well I mean, if, I'm sure everybody listening can probably resonate with the places they haven't visited that they want to, the, the jobs perhaps that they wanted to do but have not felt that they have the, the whatever the necessity qualities are. Um, you know, if I, if I use the expedition that you mentioned before with Limitless, all 12 of those guys had probably never been further north than Scotland in oh, the world. And where did you go? We went up to the Arctic um, and we did a 120 kilometre unsupported expedition. And part of that training was they had to self-rescue from the ice. So we cut a hole in the ice. And when we're talking about limits and beliefs, none of them would have believed that they could do that. And that was the whole point was to show people what you can do.
2: I mentioned resilience there. And I feel like there's a, a bit of sometimes confusion, sometimes, you know, Misunderstanding around that phrase. I think about it a lot with kids. Actually, you know, we need to teach our kids to be resilient. And a lot of people go, oh, "I'm not sure," because that sounds like they're going to be hard, yeah, you know, uncaring. When we when we are thinking about resilience, and I guess the importance it can play yes. in having a life without limits. Can you unpack that a little bit for us?
0: Phil? Yeah, for sure. I, and I think it's a similar thing as stoicism that most people think that stoicism is about being kind of you know non-emotional. And stony-faced. When, yeah, and stony-faced. You know, that person's very stoic. Um, when stoicism isn't really about that at all, it's actually... The ability to be in control and to have temperance, to to have courage in any situation, um, to have justice at the heart of what you do and wisdom. And all four of those virtues of stoicism, which embed into resilience, um, are values that I would suggest that any child would benefit from. So, you know, as an example, last summer, I took my eldest daughter who was uh, she was just before, about she was just about to start high school. So she was 12, 13. She's now and it was a fact it was two years ago. Time flies, isn't it? Um, and I took her to Sweden and we went on a wilderness canoe trip together, just the two of us. Um, she got rained on, she got blisters, she wasn't able to go online. Um, and she is very much, you know, that TikTok generation, Snapchat. Um, and she absolutely adored the whole experience. So the adversity that you need to create resilience, that sometimes we f- we're fearful of putting our children in that position. Well, we're
2: fearful about putting ourselves in that situation. For sure. <laughs> yeah, for Because sure. we get used to comforts. As adults, we don't necessarily you know, we shy away from discomfort. I'm not talking about pain, although that can be part of it. But, you know, we're afraid to fail a lot of the time or yes. afraid to look silly yes. to get it wrong.
0: Yes. And and I mean, you can unpack some of the things you said there in different ways. You know, the, the fear of failure is a huge thing. That's what prevents people. That's what limits their beliefs. And we learn that really at school. You know, we become afraid to fail because of exams. So we're kind of accidentally conditioned into it and... You know i believe you know when you mention about comforts that, that there are two um plague-like addic- addictions of modern humans and that is uh, abundance and comfort you know we are addicted to more and more of things um and we are addicted to comfort there is no there is no invention that makes things more makes things more adverse for us mm-hmm. and if you just consider you know dubai and it's an amazing place you are never more than 2 minutes away from the being able to change the environment to fit your comfort um and if you went back 30 years before all of these buildings and air conditioning would we have been able to live in this environment it's a good
2: point point. Phil Quirk is with us today if you've got any questions of him where you can talk about yes physical side but also that mental and professional as well we've had quite a few questions actually about that side regarding negotiation getting out of a rut and we're going to find out next about what those days in the Royal Marines and Air Force taught him and some of the challenges that he's identifying in the high performers that he coaches We're talking coaching now with Phil Quirk. He is a former Royal Marine. I was in the Royal Air Force as well. He specialises in human performance. We've just been talking about resilience and a really interesting message that's come in from a teacher saying most kids do through sport and other activities develop resilience. But I would also challenge in modern day society that some parents need to demonstrate resilience themselves and let the children get on with it without interfering. Nodding along in the studio here. 100%. Do you think we're getting our kids' ways sometimes and actually, I don't want to say tough love, but perhaps holding them back by trying too hard to make life easy for them?
0: Yeah, for sure. I think we we need adversity in our life um, because adversity is what reveals resilience. I I believe resilience is innate within everyone. Um, So I don't subscribe to this the evolutionary theory that we're getting softer and softer with each generation, that just isn't the case. What we are doing is we're creating a world, which is so comfortable that that resilience is getting buried. Um, And, you know, that's why sport is so good. It's incredible for that. You know, I know people in the UK that they, they, they employ their teams based on if they played sport throughout their whole Mm -hmm. junior career. Um, And I can see why that, you know, because you get, you, you get to feel what it's like to lose what it's like to win, what it's like to be part of a team, what it's like to self-sacrifice. So I think we need to recapture that, I really do, I think it's an important element of society.
2: Talking about resilience and tough times, let's go back to your days in the Royal Marines and and Royal Air Force, Phil. Um, when When I say that, tough times, any memories that come to mind?
0: Well, I, I mean, my career was, I think, unremarkable in lots of ways in the military. I did six years in the Royal Marines and six years in the RAF. And um, my six years in the Royal Marines were were pivotal for me because I learned about resilience through my own experience experientially. Um, my period in the RAF was way more important because I developed a theoretical and knowledge understanding of resilience. So I was able to take what I'd learned myself and then apply it. Mm-hmm. Um but I, you know, certainly for me in the Marines, it was it was tough because I was a quite a shy young kid. I had a lot of imposter syndrome. So the other kids, the kids, the other young men, I suppose, eighteen, nineteen, twenty years old, they seemed more confident in their skin. They spoke better than me. Do you think they were? No, no. And I think that's a, one the, one of the interesting things about imposter syndrome. I, I work with a lot of my clients I have it in a in a strange twist of fate. It's almost the opposite of the Dunning Kruger effect. Most people that have imposter syndrome are actually really competent and good. Um, but they spend a lot of time thinking that they're not, whereas there are people that are not so good that think they're great. They <laughs> maybe
2: should have a little bit of yes, imposter yeah, syndrome. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh,
0: the Dunning-Kruger effect.
2: <laughs> Tell us about coming out then. How did you decide, having left the RAF, what you want to dedicate your life to? Because I find that such an interesting thing, and we think about this a lot with athletes as well. Yes. You have this intense career, yeah. and it defines you and your worth and your identity, and then it stops. How did you start to identify what the next step would be for you?
0: You know what I was, I actually had a, a coaching session today with um, a, a lovely woman that I met for the first time, and and we were talking a lot about purpose. Um, and you know, my, one of my favourite books is Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning, which is a, a first-hand account of a psychologist's experience of Auschwitz, um, a, a man that had everything taken from him by the Nazis. And it was all about his his mindset and his reaction to that. And one of the things he talks about a lot in the book is you if you don't have purpose, then things can fall apart pretty quickly in Auschwitz.
2: Interestingly, just two days ago, we were talking about men's mental health, and there's yep. a, a recent study out of McGill University that said exactly that, especially with men. Yeah, um, that having a sense of purpose is so galvanizing for mental health, and yep. it can really offset some of the big big things like like isolation and you know emotional distress. Yes, so finding finding something that can be in work and it's great if it's in work. Yep. It might not be in work though.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, if, when you talk about like military people, even the military and export is the same, there is that loss of identity, that loss of purpose that occurs. And um, I, I always think that, you know, you, you can sometimes tell with some of the military guys the ones that struggle because they, they live their life in that kind of metaphorical rear view mirror. They're always referring back to their time in the military and, all their time in sport and if you can all
2: met those guys at the rugby club yes yeah for sure (laughs)
0: yeah yeah but i think that the ones that you see do well i think are the ones that look forward and and develop a new identity a new purpose a new role that they play um and that's a huge thing in psychology i think
2: you are now a high performance coach and dedicated your life to that can i ask you what characteristics in that time and we are talking ceos executives you know world champions olympians um, what are some of the characteristics in those high performers have you identified and what are some of the pain points that they're
0: coming to you with, Phil? Um, the number one character that they share, um, and it's the same for pretty much every high-performing client I worked with, is relentless commitment. Um, they don't rely on motivation. Uh, motivation is very, I think it's very overrated. It's an emotion. You know, Some days you're really motivated to do something, some days you're not. Mm-hmm. But when you're committed day after day, relentlessly, it's a commitment is a state of mind, not a a motivation. So you don't feel commitment, do you? You are committed. And that's what they all have. They have this relentless commitment to do habits every day that lead to excellence.
2: Interesting message from Benny that's just come in saying, does your guest think that people who perform at the highest level are often inherently selfish? That has been my experience, sadly. Interesting.
0: I think at the very, very pinnacle, you know, when, when you look across all the sports and you really examine the very, very top guys and often that is the case. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I don't necessarily think it's the same in female sports. I think, I think women have a different psychology of the way that they think. They're much more collaborative. They're a lot less individual in my experience. Uh, but that doesn't mean that they can't be winners as well, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of, I think when you're at the very top, I'm talking the top three of every sport, I think you find that, yeah, they they just, they will win at all costs. There's a wonderful interview that Tom Brady gave. And I urge I, I anyone to to go on YouTube and look at the Tom Brady interview that he gave recently with part of a podcast. It was a real insight into his psychology and his mentality. And he wasn't friends with anyone. He talks about it. He, he you know, even if he liked some of the other players, he wouldn't be friends with them. And that's because he was so competitive that in his world, there was no room to be friends with him, which was, you know, it's an interesting way of looking at it. And I would say Tom Brady's probably at the pinnacle of I mean, mindset.
2: it's served him, but at what price?
0: For sure. Well, I suppose... you His marriage? You, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Recently? <laughs> you, I suppose you exchange, do not you? I think, you know, mm-hmm. I think life's like a wheel, isn't it? And when you focus too hard in one area, it tends to have a bumpy wheel. Mm-hmm. Um, I think even sevens around the wheel is quite smooth. But if you're performing at tens... There has to be sacrifice. So if I'm putting everything into my business, then maybe I lose a little bit of my family. If I'm putting everything into my family, maybe a little bit of my business. So it's sometimes when you really go after something, there is a, always a there's a consequence and effect.
2: We're going to be talking about some of the challenges facing high performers and picking the brains of Phil Quirk about maybe some of the things that he can teach us, the techniques that he uses with clients. We are going to have a bit of a quick fire round on the text line after half past. We've had messages about being stuck in a rut, about getting to Dubai, doubling your salary and feeling what sounds like a little bit guilty about having a good time. Should this be when this listener is getting ahead at work? And S wants to know any advice on asking for a pay rise, haven't had one for five years, despite hitting KPIs, performing well by their own admission. We're talking elite coaching now with Phil Quirk. He is a human performance, mental fitness and resilience expert. He has clients across the world of athletics and business, entrepreneurship. He's also the author of Legacy, ancient philosophy for modern minds and the founder of Expedition Limitless. They take people on extreme adventures for charity. How do you feel about a bit of a quick fire round on the text line, Phil? Absolutely. Loads of questions for you on this. Now, S has been in touch. You don't need to put your name on if you'd rather not. S says... Hi, both. I'm new to Dubai. I've doubled my salary from the UK. Having a great time at the weekends, I've got some travel booked. But I have a niggling feeling that now is the time to buckle down, get ahead at work, put social life slash love life on hold and maximise these opportunities. Would welcome any insights.
0: I mean, obviously, without knowing the, all the variables that might occur, um, I think there's a there's a Harvard a positive psychologist called Professor Sean Aker, who gave an incredible Ted talk about happiness. Uh, and he said that we, we've, in the Western world, we've been led to believe that if we work hard, we'll be successful and we'll be happy. But the problem with that is and happiness is placed over what he calls the cognitive horizon. You know, we never get there, we get a pay rise, we want the next pay rise, we get a promotion, we want the next promotion. And what he said is the key to finding happiness in this world that we live in is to reverse that formula and put happiness at the front, so what makes you really, truly happy, if you have that, then you'll work hard, then you'll be successful. So instead of it being in the distant future, you place it into the now. Mm. Um, and I, you know, I've worked with billionaires that have, you know, absolutely depressed. And I've worked with people that have got no material objects at all that are absolutely happy. Um, I think money sometimes is a magnifying glass. I think if you're in a great place and you're you're, you're really positive and you have a great life and you have money, that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't solve it if you're not. It just acts, acts as a magnifying glass.
2: With some of the high performers you're working with, have you identified any patterns, trends with common things that are coming up when, when they talk to you? Because as you say, on paper, it looks like everything's sorted.
0: Yeah, I, I suppose if you, I mean, the, does it, a tennis player that I work with that that spoke, I don't I don't usually talk about individual clients um unless they speak about it in the press or they give express permission. But um I work with Liam Brody, a tennis player, one wonderful guy. Um and when we started with Liam, he he was two 350 in the world, he was about to retire, he was on a huge losing streak. Um what age was he then? He was only 25. Um uh, he 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 was an enigma as a tennis player as a boy. He got to the Wimbledon final as a boy. He he, he I think he won Wimbledon doubles as a boy. So you know his trajectory of of performance was exceptional. Um, he was about to retire in 2015 and fell out of love with the sport. And the first thing that we had to do was just to get him enjoying playing tennis again. You know that when you start playing when you're young and you really enjoy the game, and then once you start to enjoy, you relax, and then it's about installing good habits. Um, what, what, for a lot of people, they want a quick fix, they want a click of the finger and then you're kind of in a different place. But in my experience, high performance is about daily habits, good, solid daily habits that you commit to. And if you keep doing that, you get this compound effect Um, And over time, you get to that performance level.
2: There's never going to be a one size fits all. So I'm certainly not saying what should everybody today listening do, but are there any general guidelines that you feel like everyone could benefit from hearing about?
0: Certainly. Yep. Uh, Sleep. So sleep is the number one way to improve. I think to improve mental health. Um, So you know, it's
2: really annoying, isn't it? You like. These things work. Yes, B- the boring stuff works. Yes, yes. It's Like you're going to tell us to exercise as well, aren't you? Yeah, I mean yeah. obviously
0: you've got that shed having your sleep. Is it sleep, hydration, exercise, diet? Absolutely. You know the very basic principles, and often they're overlooked, aren't you? Mm-hmm. Um, but sleep for me is you know especially when I'm working with athletes, it's it, and it's some of the things that people don't understand about sleep. So let's just take Liam as an example. So. We've been working hard over the last few months on improving sleep hygiene and really trying to in- increase the quality of sleep. And the reason for that is when he's working hard on the practice court and he's say fitness, he's say working on a serve with his technical coach, Dave, there's a certain amount of learning he does on the court, but there's also a certain amount of learning at a, a neural level, so mm-hmm. at a psychological level, that embeds itself when he gets the correct restorative sleep in the night. So I need him to sleep really well the following night to get the most of that training session.
2: We should... I don't know, it's not a spoiler alert, but do you want to give us an update on Liam's career, where he's now?
0: Yeah, I mean, he, in fact, he lost the final of Saint Tropez the other day, but he beat the world number four at Wimbledon this year, Casper Rudd. Um, he's just gone to 93 in the world, I think, which is his highest ranking. Um, we're expecting really great things next year with Liam. He's expecting really great things. Uh, it feels he's just coming up to 30 now, or just turned 30. So he's. he's to, Getting towards the end of his career, unfortunately, we, you know, science would tell us that maybe four or five years at the real high level, but we're really hopeful injury, you know, preventing that we can have a really powerful and end to his career. Amazing. And you fulfill, fulfill his promise as well.
2: Mm-hmm. Tell us, so sleep, yes. we, could all, we could all definitely be doing better on. What about productivity? Any philosophies on that?
0: Well, I've got lots of little philosophies about the world. I think the world is fo- over-focused on busyness and under-focused on productivity. I think we we, we, we all like to wear the badge called busy. but
2: We massively fetishize it because we, it makes us feel like we're in demand and we're important. It's a very, it's a very, it's a bit of an ego thing, isn't it? How are you? Oh, I'm so busy. I'm so, everyone wants a piece of
0: me. Yes. Yeah. I'm back to back, you know, that kind of, you know, and, and, what someone once said to me, which really, you know, resonated, and often like a lot of the things that I've learned is I've picked up from other people. Um, uh, someone said the secret to creativity is to hide your sources. <laughs> so, so someone once said to me, you know, you can be busy all day and produce nothing or you can, Fact. or you can be productive for an hour and really do something special. So I think productivity and busyness are not the same. And one way to understand this is, your, your brain has, has only so much focus and any one sitting it and there's called an ultradian rhythm, in science, but around about 90 minutes of good quality focus. After that point, your brain starts to get fatigued. You start to slow down. Decisions come a little bit slower. You're more likely to make mistakes. You're more likely to get distracted and actually stepping back just for five to 10 minutes, allowing your brain to settle down, a little bit of meditation, a little bit of walk in nature, and then you can go again, another 90 minutes, another ultradian rhythm. But we try and work our way around science. It's the same as sleep. We try and... I I can work all day without a break. Mm -hmm. Well, you can, but the science would say you're not as productive, but you're busier than the other person.
2: I don't know if it's just me, but maybe you can tell me from yourself and maybe some of the clients. But I go through these kind of stages and seasons of... Sometimes I feel really productive and creative and driven. And I'm like, I'm going to write a book and I write a book, you know. Or you know, all sorts of different things. I feel motivated to reach out to people and, you know, contact them and and be really proactive. Yep. And sometimes, which I'm going through a bit right now, I'm just like, I'm tired and I need to rest and I feel a little bit guilty about that. And I kind of come back to that. It sounds super cheesy and I'm very aware, as I say it, but I kind of think about nature and think that, you know, flowers don't bloom all year round. Does that make
0: sense? Yeah, for sure. And, you know, we... (laughs) And a part of modernity, part of the evolution and part of the technological world we live in is it? it does take us away from nature. You know, you can't get away from that. We live in a hyper hy- stimulated, hyper stimulated, connected world and our natural rhythms, you know, our circadian rhythms of sleep, our ultradian rhythms of focus, our natural evolution that we kind of have with our nervous system. Is, is is living in a world which wasn't really designed to live in. Um, mm-hmm. You know, this this amazing world that we've created and Dubai is probably the best example of it. But it really works against our nervous system in lots of respects. And sometimes we have to listen to our body. Sometimes we have to say, we're probably doing too much. Um,
2: so you're giving me permission to watch Married at First Sight. Instead sure. of, okay, perfect. Message here from uh, Chris saying, Phil Quirk, absolute legend. Someone's had an incredibly positive impact on my family's life. Must be a hugely rewarding job.
0: It, it, it is it is and uh you know the, the and it it's not just elite sports like i said before i i know who that is and i know who he's referring to and it means a lot um really does uh and to be part of some of the journeys and the transformations that i've been lucky enough to be part of there, there's no better and there's no more reward than mm-hmm. profession in the world and you know i didn't ever think i would do this for a living and i encourage anyone that has a real desire to help that, you know, you can absolutely do what I do. You know, I spend a lot of time mentoring and teaching now.
2: One thing that's popped up in a number of messages about getting out of a rut. Yeah. And it might be work. It might be relationship. It could be country, you know, who knows? Yeah. Any quick tips on breaking out of something that's really not serving you, Phil?
0: I mean, obviously, once again, context is, is hugely important, but, um, another client that I've been working with whilst I've been out here and we've been talking about just the importance of winning one day. Um, A lot of what my next book and a lot of what I coach in is around the topic of my next book. It's it's called, it's called the playbook and it's, it's all, I use mathematical equations to coach, believe it or not. You've lost me. So, so, so one that I use is CV times R equals uh, positive resilience and CV is a commitment victory times repetition Equals resilience. So, and what I mean by that is, is a way to break out of a rut is to set yourself the goals just for the day. Don't worry about these long term goals. I'm just going to set myself some really good goals today, um, and you do them to the letter. You don't do anything. You don't do anything. Ninety percent. So, if you say I'm going to go to the gym for sixty minutes, you don't go for forty. You don't go for fifty. To get the full amount of the benefit, you have to achieve everything you've committed to.
2: And then you get a confidence boost when you've done it because you know you can do it.
0: And you do it once. Then you do it the next day. You just focus on each day. And I'm a big fan of compound interest. You know, if you've got the, a chessboard has 64 squares as an example, if you take one grain of rice on the first square and then you double it, you have two and then four and then eight and then 16. When you get to the 64th square, you have enough rice to cover the whole of India with one meter deep of rice. And you do that just by doubling each square. And that's that's the power of compound interest. Good habits, day after day, they start to compound they start to become hugely powerful.
2: We've run out of time. We haven't run out of questions. I know you're based in the UK. You are in Dubai for a short time, but you, you're taking, you know, your website's a great resource. You've got your book out as well. Phil, what's the best way of people getting in touch with you if they want to seek out your advice and uh and insights?
0: Yeah, so I mean I've got a, a corporate business which is MELP, M H E L P dot um, co at UK. And my, my sort of personal business, which is where I do a lot of my teaching, is pq-performance.com and and I, I'm hoping to get out to Dubai a lot more. I'm, I'm really excited. We need you. Yeah, I'm, 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 I think I'm going to be out end of last two weeks in November and then into December.
2: Will you come in for another chat then? I would love to come oh, in for another chat, Feel yeah. Quick. Thank you so much. Really, really appreciate your time and everything you've shared on the show. We're marking International Coffee Day. It actually falls on the 1st of October. It celebrates the coffee sector's diversity, quality, passion. And a bit of an opportunity for coffee lovers to raise a cup and share their love of that beverage too, supporting the millions of farmers whose livelihood depend on this aromatic and often day-saving crop. To celebrate now, we've got Kim Thompson with us. She's the co-owner and managing director at the Raw Coffee Company. Happy Almost International Coffee Day, Kim. How are you? Thank
5: you, Helen. I'm really good. How are you? You
2: sound suitably caffeinated. Um, how many, always. How many, always, how many uh, cups of coffee do you tend to average a day, Kim?
5: I'm a little bit unusual. I only have a couple. I have two good ones. But...
2: Are there people in your life who might get into double digits?
5: Are there people in my life I don't talk to until (laughs) I've had their coffee? Absolutely. (laughs) Now,
2: we've seen, certainly in our time in Dubai, you know, coffee culture absolutely explode. And I'm talking about people taking a real, almost nerdy, and I'm I'm Uh here for it, Uh interest in coffee and cafe culture as well. Why do you think it's been growing at such speed in the UAE?
5: I think it's not unusual if you look at the global trend. So we're just following the same trend that's happening globally. These waves happen and we are I think we used to say we were 5 years behind, I think we've caught up. And there are a lot more owner operated businesses. I think when we started it wasn't that common to see, you know, individuals owning a business and working in them whereas now it's completely acceptable and it, the market's hugely popular.
2: Kim, do, do coffees follow trends? I'm thinking like fashions and seasons. Yeah. No, and no, they do. They do.
5: What's hot right now? Well, there's an evolution, really. I think it, 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 it corresponds with the knowledge of, of the market. Um, you can maybe get away 20 years ago with really, you know, stale, darker roasted, not very well made. And as the consumer gets more aware, and more knowledge, they drive that demand. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. But at the moment, it's like you've got all the the cold brews and the RTD drinks. And, you know, people are, since COVID, I honestly think there's a, a shift. People taking a little bit more control, wanting to put healthier things in their body. They know about not having as much sugar or flavors, but they still want that pick-me-up. I um, I had a
2: really interesting interview with um, Matthew Walker recently. He's a sleep expert. And mm-hmm. he, we were talking, we were talking, I was listening to him talking about the impact <laughs> the impact that caffeine and coffee have on sleep. And he was very much like, you know, you need to be aware, you need to be mindful that, you know, ca- caffeine's got a half life. So, you know, by the time you go to bed, you might have the equivalent of a quarter cup of coffee in your system. But what he was saying is that while he doesn't love caffeine, he loves coffee, for its mm-hmm. health for its, its health benefits there's a mm-hmm. huge yes, number has, yeah. of benefits and antioxidants in there um, yes. are you seeing people taking an interest in it from a health point of view
5: yes absolutely because you know you can ha- a really good cup of coffee is just made with two ingredients and if you control the quality of the coffee and you use good water and you know there's no very few calories but you're getting a lot of health benefits and antioxidants and if caffeine isn't one of your you know, something that there are people that are allergic to caffeine and, mm-hmm. and we have really good decaffeinated options now that you can't actually taste and they're not using chemicals to decaffeinate them. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's, it's a good option. And yes, there are a lot of and with more people going to the gym and using pre and post, you know, workout drinks, caffeine is being added and in the form of. Uh, cold brew and that actually has a longer life with the caffeine so you don't get that real spike and then the drop that some people get it's a slower uptake it stays for longer
2: lastly kim for making a good cup on the go you know people Mm -hmm. are traveling they're at work maybe haven't got the opportunity to go and sit in a cafe and enjoy that kind of ritual any top tips for diy coffee on the go is it possible to get a good cup
5: Well, I drink tea a lot because I don't believe it's easy to get good coffee on the go at the airports and things like that. (laughs) But you can, as long as you, you can have an AeroPress or a French press, you can have these single serve brew pouches, which are technology that came out from Korea and Japan. And they're amazing. They're really good quality. And all you need is a cup and hot water. And you can actually, you usually can get hot water in a lot of places.
2: Lastly, what are you drinking this afternoon or what's, uh, what's hot right now in raw? If we're going to come in today, what would you be serving us a cup of?
5: I'm really enjoying a naturally processed coffee from Burundi. It's called a Nagashiro and I have a V60. So it's just uh, hot water and steeped over quite a uh, few minutes of time. It's quite light, but you get all the flavours. It's my favourite thing at the moment after lunch.
2: And last question, that's come in from Liam on the text line saying, can you advise Mm -hmm. the best way to store my coffee beans so it's still fresh? Should you use the freezer or the fridge? Is that true?
5: I think the, just a dark cupboard in an airtight container so that you're not playing with the temperature. If you've got a lot of coffee, maybe you've travelled and you know, you've know got a favourite roastery at home or something, you can put coffee in the freezer, but you need to make sure it's airtight and not, none of that moisture can get in because you want to keep the coffee dry. So the best thing is to keep it in an airtight container, grind it just as you want to drink it, and just buy what you need for a week so it's always fresh.
2: Now, if anyone does want to come down and get their caffeine on with you guys and fully nerd out on all of the different varieties you have at Raw. Where can we find you in real life and um, online as well, Kim Thompson?
5: Yeah, sure. Thank you, Helen. We're at Raw Coffee Company in our khuz We're a big industrial warehouse and we also have rawcoffeecompany.com where you can order online. And yeah, we're... Come and come and try any of the coffees and yeah, have tea if you
2: don't you have the coffee <laughs> wherever you're we going. <laughs> well, listen, all the very best of you and the team there. You're such hard workers Thank and you. they've done so much in terms of being Thanks, real homegrown heroes in this happy space. Be, uh, happy International, uh, coffee International Coffee Day. Day. <laughs> have a good one. We'll raise a cup in it's honour. Take no, care. Bye-bye. Kim Thompson from Raw Coffee Company, rawcoffeecompany.com. Um, you can buy online, as you're saying, or you can pop in. Meet the, the staff are so welcoming, so well trained and really happy to talk you through anything you might have on your mind when it comes to all things coffee. And thank you for downloading this episode of the Afternoons with Helen Farmer podcast. Don't forget, you can subscribe, you'll get direct to your phone as soon as it's out. And you can listen to me live on Dubai I 103.8, Monday to Friday between 2 and 5pm.